Thanks for listening to this episode of the Alessant Innovator Series, the podcast designed to inspire, educate, and deliver key takeaways from some of the brightest minds in lifestyle marketing, real estate development, and prop tech. In this episode, host April Lamont is joined by Rick Severance, division president at Welland Park and Mattamy Homes. Rick discusses how he and the team at Welland Park are building one of the fastest growing, most environmentally conscious communities in the country. He also discusses his practices for creating the best environments for collaboration and design. The Alessant Innovator Series is presented by Alessant and the ResX Community Branded App Platform the scalable residential experience platform that brings everything about your community together in one place. To learn more, visit alisant.com. Hi, we're here today at the Alisant Innovator Series, and we're welcoming our guest, Rick Severance with Welland Park. Rick, it's nice to have you. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you know, I thought we'd start out by talking about Welland Park, which you joined about three and a half years ago as a work in progress and very, very quickly put your mark on this large and rapidly growing community. Could you talk to us a little bit about how you've grown the the mandate or the charter from for Welland from a traditional master plan community to a more diversified uh, portfolio of real estate assets? Well, sure. Um, it was actually one of the reasons I was recruited here. Uh, it, it had been somewhat mothballed. There was a success of individual neighborhoods, all gated, uh, and it, it was transacting under the name the West Villages, but come to find out we didn't own the name, the URL, or the trademark. And so uh, they brought me in not only to kind of infuse some energy and, and, and certainly start to work on diversification, but to also rebrand it. Uh, so the intent was to create a halo brand that we could create a new downtown and other uh, districts and entities around it. You know, it was just selling single family residential. That's all it was doing. And I really believe the best master plan communities uh, in the United States in particular are those that have true diversification. So uh, that's housing types, it's single family, you know, for purchase, it's multifamily for rent, it's build for rent, but it's more than that. It's the right mix of healthcare and great school systems and commercial interests and amenities uh, and the connection to the natural environment. So for me, it was, how do I take all those other things? Because as you look at a successful master plan, especially a 20 to 30 year old master plan, it's got to be able to weather the ups and the downs. And to do that, you need diversification. It's very similar to any kind of portfolio. You need to mitigate your risks. And so uh, the intent was to start to layer all of those into Welland Park, which we've, I think we've contracted 3,500 single families, 1,500 multifamilies, 400,000 square feet of commercial a new 200-bed hospital, uh, and then two, I think we're on our third new school. So really tried to do that. And then all around, you know, we had the Braves brand new training facility inside the community. So creating that as almost a secondary hub to the community was a great way to create connective tissue. Uh, it was the great equalizer for all the neighborhoods. So that's been great as well. 
That's awesome. I remember having conversations with with your team prior to to it being rebranded and then with you and the rest after. And what I felt was a real energy around getting the town center right. Can you talk more about your general location and, and how the retail center fits into that? Certainly. So I'm really fortunate, and I think that's probably why Welland Park was a, fir- a, a, a perfect fit for my skill set. Uh, I think this will be my sixth town center or downtown. Uh, if you layer in my consulting experience, I think it's my seventh or eighth. Uh, so we didn't have a hub of connectivity. All these were individual, very successful neighborhoods, but there was nothing that was basically a main and high for the community as a whole. Uh, or a hub of activity for amenities, concerts, programming. There just wasn't anything like that. And so while we were trying to diversify in terms of what the overall offering was within the master plan, keep in mind, we're also 13,000 acres. So it's really large format, uh, but they didn't have a downtown. So uh, probably within the first 60 to 90 days, we started the planning of the downtown and I will tell you every downtown I've done, I've learned, I've skinned my knees. Uh, mm-hmm. I look back and say, I wish I would have done something differently, or we need to be mindful about growth here. Uh, but the key was to create a downtown that was multi-generational. I've always said that if you don't, you know, especially in South Florida, if you don't build a great place for the grandkids to want to come, the grandparents won't buy. Now we have both ends of the spectrum in that we have you know, 75% of our customers, 65 plus, but the 35 to 44 year old keeps growing. And so we really need to create a sense that could be multi-generational. And our intent was that the downtown could do that. It would be a place for everybody. Yeah. And the way it's coming together, um, it really creates that significant focal point for the community. And then you mentioned the Braves is sort of a secondary in that corridor between the two, I can imagine will be a real major artery through the community for people that live there. Is that, is that true? It, it is true. So we do the downtown and we, we refer to the downtown as Cabernet and we refer to the area around the Braves as the IPA area. Um, <laughs> and, and when I say that people immediately know the difference, they understand the difference in terms of the vibe right? Not just the customer profile around the multifamily and, and the energy, but the energies are a little bit different. You know, the downtown is basically in the center with all of those things that I've referenced, almost like, you know, it's the hub of a wheel and you've got these great entities around it, which are the spokes. Um, the downtown is primary and it's our first phase. I would say the area around the Braves, we'll call it the, that IPA district, that's probably four more years in the making. Planning's been done. Shred's been done. It's sat on the shelf uh, and we'll dust it off as we get a little bit uh, closer to stabilization in phase one and phase two of the downtown. Yeah, that's amazing. We're hearing more and more about that integration of really creating a space, a place, and that interplay between what's happening on the retail side as well as as for those um, home homeowners and, and tenants throughout the community. Now, you mentioned your career, which is um, really one to study if you are interested in master plan development. Your projects are iconic and you know, you they're they're 
the focal point for many people in the in the industry from Seaside to Babcock Ranch to now Welland Park. It seems to me that there's a really meaningful role or thread that extends through these projects around creating an environmentally sustainable community. Can you talk about what those kind of big lofty words mean for you when you're actually thinking about how to apply them practically within a community? Yeah, absolutely. I would say the the biggest key is to have learned your lessons, right? There are things that really worked in certain places based on their destination and they won't work. It's not 100% transferable. So understanding those hallmarks that are transferable is really important. And then I would say from a planning perspective, um, you know, solar at Babcock was a hallmark. It was there far before we had the first building. So building the community around solar was essential, right? Uh, That's not necessarily the same with an 80 acre parcel at Seaside, right? The hallmarks are going to be a little bit different. I would say this, though. Um, I've been really fortunate to operate these great master plan communities after they've been designed. So then there's an element of once they're operational, what would I or should I or could I have done a little bit differently? Um, because how do the how does the end user interact with it? From a sustainability perspective, I'm a big fan, and I learned this 20 years ago at Seaside. The greatest places are, you know, if you can easily get someone a quarter mile from where they're resting their head to the environment where they experience entertainment or the the experience of shopping or where they can get to a community event. You know, a quarter of a mile is a great distance for walkability. And, and, you know, shade is a big deal in Florida. It's really hot in South Florida. So staying proximate in that fashion is important. Um, I also think, you know, we haven't mitigated a single acre of wetland here at Welland Park and we're in our 7,000th acre of development. So you can create sustainability hallmarks that aren't greenwashing. They're just true to, there are people that want to live on a lake, and there are people that want to live on a great preserve. It's good land planning and being really smart about how the customer interacts with that plan, and then also how they interact with their car, the mobility, not being reliant on the car, being able to bike or walk, you know, walkable places is essential uh, especially, you know, when you're in Florida and the weather's difficult, creating respites along the path. It's almost like a, um, it's kind of a necklace, if you will, creating great destinations along that necklace. Those are really important things when you're planning. Yeah. And I really love this idea of those anchors, those hallmarks being true to the space. Um, but also there are threads that you can bring forward with you from project to project and really rooted in the resident or the consumer's experience. Are there some examples kind of on the on both sides of the coin, Rick, where there were some things that, like you said, as an operator, you look back at it and you would tweak and maybe bring that thinking into, into the next project? For sure. Uh, you know, I would say... It was really interesting early on at Babcock, uh, and I think Sid would agree, people assumed that solar was free, like it was free energy. Well, we didn't message it up front be a first U.S. you know solar city in the U.S., right? And so the consumer felt like, okay, if it was generated by the sun, then it's, it's a zero on my, <laughs> on my power bill. And, and that wasn't the case. We could have done a different we could have messaged that differently, probably more forthright. Um, 
I, I would say there are things, you know, you inherit how the car lives and how you're reliant on the car. And if you are constantly creating an environment where the car, you know, intersects with the pedestrian shed, that's a real problem. And so I would say I learned that at the last two or three places, we designed our downtown very differently at Welland Park. It's parked to the rear, the, the, the buildings, the mixed use buildings are as beautiful from the rear as they are from the front because you're, you know, you're entering into the downtown, but we have made the car the secondary, not the primary reason mm. to be part of that. And that is people will get there by their bike or their kayak or their electric vehicle slash golf cart. Uh, but it's, it's a little bit different. We've taken the car out of play a little. That's really interesting in terms of acknowledging that it's still here, but providing those mechanisms for engagement with other, with other modalities. So, so let's talk a little bit about autonomous vehicles, electric vehicles. What do you see on the horizon there for those of, um, you know, you and your peers as you're looking to plan for the future? You know, for, I can speak to Welland Park, um, and this will reference a little bit about where we were with Babcock. I, I would say when you have a meaningful closed loop, and that's defined as a loop, very similar to a jitney service. Um, you know, Lake Nona does it phenomenally. They have a hospital. They have a downtown. They have a hotel. They have a parking deck. The, you know, the closed loop makes sense. So you never have to get back in your car if you're going from the hotel to the hospital and, and back and forth. Mm -hmm. um, there, it makes sense to do it in that environment. We've always struggled with what's that first mile, last mile. If you have an autonomous shuttle loop, and it, the resident, you want the residents to participate. How do they get to that stop? If they're already in their car, or they're already in a vehicle uh, or even their own golf cart, and they've got to get to the stop, which may be a mile from where they live. A lot of end users are going to just continue to take their car or their electric golf cart to the downtown. They, they won't necessarily get on another mode of transportation. So I, I, a, I think the technology is coming has come a long way. I think the vehicles are getting faster. They're also getting a little bit larger. You know, most of those Easy Mile or Navia vehicles only held maybe 10 people. Um, so you'd have to have a lot of them and they're fairly capital intensive. I I'm excited about when we have the, the dead downtown and the Brave Stadium and the, the shopping centers. Um, and there's a meaningful closed loop and that's when we'll layer it in. But I would only want to do it if it took cars off the road. Yeah. And and so when just to um, elaborate a little bit more for I know you and I've talked about this, but just for the rest of rest of us, when you're talking about that first mile, last mile, what specifically are you solving for there? Um, for instance, if we could create an autonomous platform where it was an autonomous Uber that went directly to your home, picked you and your spouse up, and you went to have a cocktail or dinner. That would make perfect sense, but that's not how the current autonomous environment is. It goes to a designated stop. Well, if you have a gated neighborhood, that transit hub has to be on the outside of the gate, which means Mr. and Mrs. Severance would need to get in there on their bikes or their golf cart or their car to go pick up the shuttle. Well, then it almost loses its, it, its loss in translation because you would just stay in the car and drive to your destination or you'd stay in your 
you know, in the golf cart. So that first mile or last mile is part of the problem because right. people want the freedom to come and go as they need. And they don't necessarily always want to wait on a schedule. We've become, as everyone knows, extremely impatient. Yeah. So it's really that more door to door service, right. on demand service versus a, a closed loop scheduled stop scheduled times of day it, when those autonomous vehicles are going by. And I do think you can, I, I talk about, you, you know, you've got to crawl, then you've got to walk and you've got to run. There are, there are ways to address mobility, whether that is, again, low speed vehicles that are electric that help. Um, there's a, a shuttle or a jitney service that creates that closed loop before you jump all the way to autonomous vehicles. There's ways to learn from the behaviors of the community and then put what's out there based on the need. Uh, sometimes I think we all want to run and we haven't really solved the crawling part yet. Yeah. Or it's an all or nothing, right? It's like, right. if we can get all the way to bright, then is there any point in getting started? So I appreciate, especially as the technology is improving and um, we're seeing more experience with these types of transit modes that you know, we have to, we have to get started. You're listening to the Alessant Innovator Series, presented by Alessant. Alessant provides branded mobile apps to the leading master plan communities across the United States. The Alessant ResX community branded app platform is the single destination for residents and home shoppers, bringing everything about your community together in one place. To learn more, visit alessant.com. When you think about the quality of life, the, the experience for that customer, that resident, it seems that that's really been infused in your thinking, whether it's around thinking around the retail center, the mobility, solving for that proximal interaction in the community at that one quarter mile scale, first mile, last mile. When you think about all of those dynamics, how would you, if I were a developer or someone might be, you know, sort of a junior planner uh, listening today, how would you advise someone to start to tackle these, you know, in this crawl, walk, run complex issues? I mean, there's there's a lot of complexity here. Where, How do you get started? Well, I think having a good understanding of what quality means to you as a developer, right, Hopefully you've done your homework and you understand that what quality means to me will resonate with a customer. And there are a lot of firms out there that can help you do that. Uh, but at the end of the day, you need to listen. You need to be a good listener. And that is whether that's current residents that are in the environment and you're launching a new product uh, or from a regional perspective. I would also say erring on the, on the side of quality always wins. And we all know what quality is. Isn't that interesting, right? We, just like we all know what value is, and value is not a negative word. You know, I always talk about value for price paid. Um, quality means different things to different people, but we all know what quality is to ourselves, what, how, how that interacts with us. And so I've always erred on the side of it. If it might make a little bit, it might take a little bit more of an investment to invest on a quality experience, then that's how we should err. We should always err on that side. Um, I would say that that it translates to everything from the retail mix and the merchandising mix and how somebody's going to interact with that. You know, not everyone can pay the rate 
or the freight that you're asking is part of the base rent or the triple net rent, but yet there's a user uh, or an offering, let's say from a retailer or a food and beverage perspective, that's absolutely ideal for the market. So sometimes you have to just be really smart about creating this, um, this platform for everyone to be successful because remember, you have residents that will probably frequent your downtown or the areas that are common. They're, they'll frequent that maybe two to three times a week. That doesn't discount the people that are in the community or the outside because we're not gated. You want to create a great experience for them if they're just coming for date night once a month. So we're really trying to be smart about being a good listener. And then I'm a huge fan of aha moments. Huge fan. And that was really probably Seaside taught me that. It was the unexpected, um, the sense of, of family and community. And I don't mean that in a cheesy way. I don't, everyone knows what I'm talking about, where you just feel at peace or, wow, this is really special. Uh, and those are those little aha things that you wouldn't have thought about otherwise. And you, and, and you, we've been to those great places where like, where did that idea come from? I mean, it's so great. And, you know, I referenced that I love ideas that come from the, uh, from all places. And that is, you know, we talked about a junior planner. Um, it's really important to be great listeners because sometimes those folks don't have the, um, they don't have the baggage. They have such a fresh set of ideas and they look at it from not just with the acumen that they got from an academic perspective, but as a fresh set of eyes. And I always appreciate trying to layer that in because their version of quality might not be the same as a 70 year olds. Yeah. You know, it, it brings to mind that very point, things I've heard said about you, Rick. Um, I've heard said that you create a, just an amazing environment for a design charrette. And I'm thinking about your the comments you just made about, you know, being open to the fresh eyes and fresh perspective around what quality is and what, what those aha moments might be. Could you share with us your approach? Like, how do you create that energy, that experience, that space for an amazing design charrette? Well, first of all, thank you. That is an amazing compliment. And secondly, I have uh, never been accused of not having energy. That's not, <laughs> that's not normally what people say. Um, so that's nice that that that's transferable. Um, for me, it's always been about the selection of the parties that can contribute the most. And um, that selection process is people that truly are willing to learn from others. Uh, they're, they're willing to, again, add value. They may be a subject matter expert in a certain area, and they know that that's their time to shine on the agenda, and that's why they're there. Uh, but yet that person also is credentialized enough that they can add value, even if that's the junior planner. You have to create an environment where you're open to learning. You don't have the answers. You're trying to come up with something as a team. Um, collaboration is key. And we talk about collaboration a lot. And I, I don't think I can put a finer point on what that truly means, because that means it's got to be a safe place to disagree. And if you don't cast the right attendees at a charrette, it can go, it can get off the rails pretty fast because usually the strongest or the most experienced voice in the room wins. And that's not what a, a, a good charrette should be. Um, I, I had, I'll give you an example there was a young planner and female, and I said, speak the truth, even if your voice shakes. And it was at a break. 
because she was asking me, hey, I want to say something, but I'm not sure. And I'm the father of three daughters. And so I want to I want to group my wife and I want to raise great people. But probably now more than ever, great women are really important as role models. And so this idea of speak the truth, even if your voice shakes, that for me, that was to give somebody who is probably in their late 20s the ability to be a little bit of a disruptor. Like they were going to say something that was probably going to fly in the face of a planner that had been doing it for 30 years. But the truth was her idea was the best. But if somebody had not given her the confidence to say, hey, I've got your back, even if it falls flat, I've got your back. Uh, so I try to at least create that kind of environment. Um, and then lastly, I would say, because I've operated so many of these or had consulting clients where I've been brought in to help them you know, get better or more more profitable. It's always in balance: people, profit, and process. You you you. The people part is how people interact with the space after the fact. Um, the profit is we can do that, but it's going to cost too much money. So how do we get away with gold um, when you want platinum? Like you know, we've got to be smart about this because you know a lot of architects want to always do platinum, uh, which, you know, they're good at. Um, so people profit and process. I'm a big fan of how do people get from A to B. Um, I'll say one thing. A lot of these charrettes, people forget that there's garbage. And I mean that like a dumpster. <laughs> and people forget that people have to use the restroom. And it's always amazing to me, like, okay, guys, we forgot that if you have 2,000 or 4,000 people in this downtown, you know, where do they go to the, where do they go to the John? <laughs> And the planner's like, oh, we'll deal with that later. No, we're going to deal with it right now. Uh, so that's sometimes being a realist with certain things. Yeah. Well, it sounds like part of your vision in these in these sessions is to balance kind of left brain, right brain, the inspiration, the aha moments with the practicality, with the pragmatic um, realities of what is, it, what is life really like? Uh, I would say the compliment you gave is probably more because of that than anything else. I've been really blessed. And I mean that um, I came from parents that had the left and the right. And they, they we were at, they were advocates that academics, athletics, and the arts were all, we had to have those in parallel always. And all three of us were oldest of three boys. We all had uh, scholarships, athletic scholarships, to division one schools, but we had to do mixed ensemble. We had to do theater. We had to do debate and speech. So I feel like I was set up really early on where now I'm in that role and I, I'm, not, I'm not afraid of being creative or having a strong creative mind, but that I'm also not afraid to hold somebody accountable to their net operating income goals. You have to be able to do both. Um, and I, just, I feel like I'm blessed that I have been able to sharpen that a bit. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's inspiring, really. And I know you well enough to know that you've passed that on to your girls as well. I, I hope so. <laughs> That's I hope great. So. Well, speaking of um, more per the more personal side of what makes Rick Rick, could you, um, could you share a little bit more about yourself? What inspires you? What <clears throat> helps you just fuel your personal growth? Sure. Um, so... I travel, I have the benefit of traveling a fair amount. Um, one of my daughters travels around the world and, and I've been fortunate to kind of accompany her 
And we've lived in great places. We've lived in the Cayman Islands and we've lived in New York City and um, and we live in Atlanta too. So I travel a lot. I would say I get inspiration everywhere. My wife now has started to be a secondary set of eyes and ears. She'll take pictures and shoot stuff to me. Uh, it has been all about those aha moments. So when I'm in an environment and somebody has thought, whether it's public art, but it's art that's practical, whether it's how the you get from A to B and they've, they've thought about the experience, um, it could be the branding. You know, it could be, oh my gosh, I haven't seen that before. Because in the retail kind of mixed use world, you've seen a lot of the same stuff. And I'm a big fan of trying to put stuff out there that not everyone has seen. So I get it from everywhere. And mostly that's travel. And I think imitation is the finest form of flattery. So in some instances, I'll never steal something directly. We'll try to put our spin on it, but I'll, I'll compliment a great idea by trying to regenerate it somehow in, in our developments. Um, did that answer your question? Yeah, no, that's awesome. You know, a, a natural segue from there is, you know, you and I have both um, a few years under our belt in our career and, you know, the world's a different place today than when we started out. What advice would you give to a 25-year-old Rick Severance today that reflects on what you've learned over these projects, over your life? In today's environment, what would you pull forward? Uh, probably, gosh, I, I, I wasn't ready for that. Let me... <laughs> No, no, I love it. I, I absolutely love it. I would say earlier on, someone should have told me that you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Um, and I would say, and I think, I think this younger generation is struggling with this a lot as well. And I can say that because I have a 24 year old daughter. So um, you are not the main character in everybody else's story. And this younger, my younger self, I, I wish somebody would have told me that, like really learn from the people around you. The world doesn't, you know, rise when the sun rises, you, when you rise and the sun rises and go to bed when the sun sets. Uh, I would say trust your instincts a little bit more and be a better listener um, and recognize that you're not the center of attention all the time. Because if you are, you're going to miss a lot of great nuances that happen around you that if you just, you know, listen, uh, they'll make you a better, not only person, uh, but a better professional. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So um, I know people, many people that will be listening know you, Rick, but I suspect we're going to reach a broader audience of people that want to get to know you better, want to follow your career and the good work that you're doing. How would people find you or be able to kind of keep track of Wellen, Mattamy, Rick. Sure. So um, my emails on my LinkedIn, you can link, you know, you can reach out, message me anytime you want. You can see what we're doing. I'm pretty strategic and selective about what I put out on LinkedIn. Uh, I like them to be hero moments, not, you know, just little attaboys. Uh, I, we have other ways to do that through press releases and, and certainly social media, but my LinkedIn is probably the, the bigger uh, the bigger pendulum swings for Welland Park as a whole. Um, Wellandpark.com gives you a great overview. It's been really well done. And I would say it's constantly changing and morphing, uh, which I'm appreciative of. I think it needs to as the town develops as a whole. 
Um, uh, and then, you know, from Mattamy's perspective, so I probably should have referenced this, Mattamy is our, our, our primary uh, holder of Welland Park. Uh, they own probably 99%. So uh, Peter Gilgan, who's the founder of Mattamy, bought this property, I don't know, 2014, and always had a long-term view of the property. And I think that's really where he's made his wealth is he brings in good talent and lets the process work. And that's been really positive. So I would say follow Peter Gilgan and his philanthropy and commitment efforts to uh, sustainability, uh, because I think it could be game changing for the U.S. That's a great point. And I would be remiss if in conclusion, I did not mention the just tremendous gift from uh, Mattamy to your local community. Can you share a little but, bit more about that? It was, uh, it, it, I said this to the Red Cross, we donated a million dollars to Southwest Florida, we, Mr. Gilgan and, and his efforts. And I talk about time, talent and treasure. And maybe that's another thing as you are progressing through your career, you know, it may not be that you have the treasure so much, but you have the time. Or you may be a subject matter expert in graphic design and they needed to, they need some help at the local women's shelter. There's a way to give back. Uh, I would say that Peter Gilgan and the Mattamy Corporation, they don't just talk a big game, they deliver. And I couldn't be prouder of that culture. They know that this area um, was in need and they knew that their treasure was the easiest way to impact the most lives. And so it was great to be able to issue those checks last week. Yeah. All right. I think with that high note, we'll wrap this up. Thanks, Rick, so much for spending time with us today. And we look forward to watching the great work that you do. Thank you very much for including me. And uh, this was an absolute pleasure. I appreciate it, April. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Alessant Innovator Series. Be sure to follow, rate, and review the Alessant Innovator Series on your podcast platform of choice and learn more at alessantinnovatorseries.com.